Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist, podcaster and human puddle. And I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm here this fortnight to talk about one of the greatest movies ever made, in my humble opinion, Switchblade Sisters. Dan, I'm kind of intrigued as to how you feel about this one, because obviously it's my selection this fortnight, and... I'm finding it less easy to predict which way you're going to go on film. So um, <laughs> what's kind of your earliest experience with Switchblade Sisters and, and how do you feel about it as a whole? Well, it turns out this was my first watch. Oh, I wow. Don't know what the, I don't know what I thought I'd seen. <laughs> it wasn't this. Yeah, it's nice when that happens. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's good. I watched it with Jen uh, and she was, you know, saying things like, oh God, I wish I'd seen this when I was a teenager. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's a It's a... It's a pretty slickly made exploitation film, um, sort of higher production values than you often get with that kind of fare, and it's pretty cool. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's 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 epically cool. Um, that, that like everything about it is cool. Like even the editing to a certain extent, but like the attitudes of the gang, like the way that that shot where they're crossing the street. There's so much swagger, you know, when the car almost kind of runs yeah. them down. Uh, and yeah, obviously the music's fantastic. Yeah, I'm really happy that, that, that you connected with it. And I'm glad that Jen loved it as well. Because, yeah, this is a film that I kind of watched in the late 90s, I think. It was when Tarantino put out a load of films um, on, yeah. on the Rolling Thunder label. And so, yeah, I had it kind of on, on import DVD then and very different extras which we may or may not get into because there's so many good extras on here that we can talk about without talking about the old DVD but anyway yeah it was kind of one of the earliest I guess films of this type that I'd seen because yeah it wasn't one that was kind of a big VHS culture release in the UK. It's not something I ever remember seeing in UK video shops. Is it something that you'd encountered kind of in the 80s or 90s? Well, again, like I said, I thought I'd seen it and I really have been struggling. Like the whole film felt slightly uncanny for me on that level because I went in thinking I'd seen it and I clearly hadn't. But then also pretty much every member of the cast reminded me of someone else. And for the most part, they definitely weren't who they reminded me of, but I also couldn't remember who it was they reminded me of. So the whole right. thing was was had this sort of eerie familiarity to it. But then the other thing is that, like, you know, it, it wasn't a particularly great success in the States, quite the opposite. And even when Tarantino re-released it, it didn't do very well. So, I, yeah, for some reason, it just didn't get that kind of traction, despite I've, all, I've only ever heard it talked about in, like, quite beloved tones. But, yeah, like I said, I, I don't know what I thought I'd watched. Yeah, it's funny, and you're right, it didn't particularly do well on the re-release. There's a a, a Roger Ebert review from the re-release, and I think he gives it one star and, and basically says, all these other films are out this week, why would you go and see this one? Which is a shame, really, because Ebert normally got it right. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, I love his writing. But I think he really gets it wrong here because this is a, a real gem, and I'm glad that Tarantino kind of plucked it out and and shared it with whoever did kind of tune into the vibe um, on the re-release. And certainly I hope that more and more people will discover it now. It's on this, this amazing Blu-ray. This for me is Arrow's release of the year so far. And they've released some absolutely fantastic stuff. 
Yeah, this is just a film. It's a kind of two goosebump movie for me. It's it just I don't know if it's because I grew up, you know, quite poor in a council estate with a kind of violent speed freak dad who ran with gangs. Um, but movies like this feel like home to me. And I think it really, despite the fact it's so over the top and crazy, I think it does capture something quite pure about growing up in poverty. Um, it's got an atmosphere. And, and even though obviously it's like a live action cartoon or, or comic book or however you want to describe it, but there's something very real underneath the surface of this one. Um I don't know if you can relate to it in that way or not, or, or what, but it's certainly there for me. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he's, like, Hill's definitely painting with broad strokes to deal with very real experiences. Yeah. And it does kind of run the gamut of, of sorrow and conflict and regret. And and a lot of those things are, are done on a backdrop of, of, like, the America that was kind of falling away mm. at that point in history um i did a I, I i checked the maths on it and this was still due like this was released in 75 so it was presumably made either early 75 or late 74 mm. so the draft lottery for vietnam was still happening oh wow. so young men were still being selected for conscription service based on their birthday they would literally just write down some dates like where well, they write down all the dates and then pull them out like a tombola and mm. go okay everyone aged between this and this who was born on the 7th of january everyone who was you know everyone who was born on the 12th of august um and then those people went to war yeah but but obviously it's all guys and anytime you have a conscription in a country there's always a very peculiar gender dynamic mm. that shifts mm. um and so i thought like even though this isn't at the front end of the sort of the women in peril uh like you know the girl gang movies or you know all that stuff mm. um it's definitely a sort of a, a culmination of a lot of stuff that's gone before and it's very interesting to see that played out against a backdrop of america struggling under this you know bad faith war there are vietnam posters in the background of mm. crab's um place he's you know got this sort of sheen of political like sort of this crooked political stuff using politics yeah. as a as a shield for his gun running for violence yeah it, it just sits in a very interesting place in sort of american cultural history i think yeah that is fantastic dan i've i've never connected it to the vietnam war um in my mind but that is absolutely there isn't it that is so fascinating yeah i i love that i mean i've i've always just seen it on a i guess quite a basic level of it being about a, a poor and marginalized group taking power for themselves um and i don't think you can make a, a movie like this without the issues it covers without you know getting into that too deep but these are issues that women in poverty actually face obviously and the approach is relatively complex when you consider the era in which it was made. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's got female empowerment. Obviously, it's anti-capitalist, anti-cop, uh, features black communists who turn into the A-team. Um, what is <laughs> yeah. what is not to like? And, and we're not going to go too far into the third act because obviously this is one that, that not loads of people have seen. But, yeah, for me, it's one of the greatest third acts in cinema history. It is just literally perfect. I, I, I really, really do love it. Yeah, I, it, it's just it, I just don't think it's uh, so bad. It's a good movie. It's just a good movie. Yeah, it is. It is just a. It's a genuinely good movie. You're not there enjoying it because of the sort of misplaced earnestness that is so often the fun thing about like 
good bad films yeah it's just genuinely quite a good film exactly and and people kind of mock the performances and that really does annoy me it makes me think that sometimes people just don't know what good performances are um, i mean that's often the case yeah because uh, obviously the guys in in the film aren't aren't incredible you know they're just fine but the women are, are fucking fantastic they're doing exactly what jack hill wants them to do and their characters are all very distinct and they make you feel stuff you know what more do you want from a, a performance really in, in a film like this yeah robbie lee has this fantastic thing which i can see would rankle some people but she basically delivers every line through gritted teeth yeah and it gives this like wonderful like intensity to her performance i mean she's so you know she's baby-faced she's quite diminutive but she she feels like she's making up for it with this aggression and as you watch her make like bad decisions in this rising conflict within the film Mm. it's quite easy to to sort of sympathize with it like people are more 3d in this than they they often are in this kind of genre yeah absolutely Uh, very much so like they feel like real people even though they are extremes and cartoons you feel like they've got a past that has led them to where they are in in this film and and yeah the the pacing is just amazing like it, it doesn't stop once it gets going and it kind of starts out like Grease's evil twin and evolves into something quite profound i do wish that it had song and dance numbers um, like Grease. <laughs> that's the only criticism i will level at this film but then i feel like all films should have song and dance numbers dan um and i know that you definitely definitely agree with that yeah i mean i don't dislike <laughs> the idea of a musical i just don't like most musicals <laughs> they're just using the wrong music and um and and yeah it, it's even really well shot i think there's a superb moment involving shadows that i don't want to spoil um, oh yeah you know that is just wonderful and kind of harkens back to the earliest days of cinema for me um which is not the kind of thing that you'd expect to see in a film like this but anyway we're not going to get into it because it, it, that's a third act thing but yeah i just I, I can't say enough good things about switchblade sisters really extras uh, well, I, we I, the extras? I, I, I wanted to say one other thing about it, which is that it's one of it's sort of I use the term accidental masterpiece about films like Texas Chainsaw and stuff where it's very obvious that there was just this sort of perfect storm of things coming together to make the film work so well mm. because it's so, you know, because it's so good and it's been so resoundingly unrepeatable over the years Mm. and i do think that uh, i guess this is ripe for extras chat because it's stuff i learned in the extras Mm. but the fact that they i I think a a lot of the things that i liked about it and the things that i found slightly surprising given the subgenre and the era were it seems accidentally decided upon because of a a choice to try and get the film a pg rating okay so they had they'd intended for the film to be a pg because they wanted it to appeal to, they wanted young audiences to be able to see it, but they'd completely and slightly naively overlooked the fact that any drug use was immediately going to get you an R rating. So they'd held back on being much more explicit with things like the rape scenes, which is something that, you know, I always feel a bit like, oh God, here we go, with with this kind of subgenre, because that is so rife in it, particularly in this era. But actually, it's quite sensitively dealt with. It's it's never exploitative. It's about the female experience rather than just being used to drive male characters. Like, it's very, very well handled. And it's an important part of the, the, the plot, you know, to an extent. 
but I but I do wonder if they'd known going in that they were going to get an R certificate if those things might have been different. Yeah, um, that that's kind of an interesting point, really. I, I think that that side of it, I kind of noticed you grumbled a little bit at the idea of it being to do with the plot. I think it's more to do with the lives that these people have. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I certainly don't think it's unjustified. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's 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 a miles better than a lot of this kind of thing. Oh, oh 100%. You know, I, do, I do agree with you there for sure. And there's a, a really wonderful essay in the booklet that comes with Switchblade Sisters where, once again, Alexandra Helen Nicholas, I know I mention her tons on this podcast, but she's just one of the best people out there who's contributing to all of these kind of boutique blu-ray releases she has got a fantastic essay in the booklet about that very specific thing so i will kind of point people to to read that to to get her opinion on it and also it's covered in the commentary um by kat ellinger and and sam deegan the the kind of darker stuff that that takes place in the movie as well as you know everything else to do with this film it's a absolutely fantastic commentary there is so much passion about this film um, from kat and sam um, it, it's everything I could possibly want for this movie. I, I was initially disappointed that the Tarantino commentary wasn't ported over from the DVD release, but uh, shockingly, controversially, I feel like this is better. Um, <laughs> I would much rather have um, Cat and Sam giving their expertise and passion about this movie. It's just, uh, it's, it's quite, I don't know, I don't want to say moving because I think that sounds a bit patronising, but yeah, it just made me so, so happy to listen to this commentary. So, um, you know, bravo, Cat and Sam. Uh, it's just a perfect job. What other extras did you like, Dan? Um, there's a sort of retrospective making of that's absolutely fantastic, um, yes. which is really nice uh, with with you know a cast member and a, and the crew talking you know stunts and that kind of stuff. And it's a mix of everything you want from that kind of thing. There's some nice anecdotes about like funny things that happened. Particularly one sticks in my mind with the armorer, <laughs> which feels very close to my uh, early experiences in film. Uh, and then also you know fantastic insight into the origin of the film, how it got financed, why it was. Ch- why that particular thing was chosen and then also how sort of Roger Corman fits into this world because obviously all, all these people even though it's not a Roger Corman film are from the Corman stable yeah yeah and um did you dig into um the image gallery did you look at the lobby cards? no I didn't didn't go through that um because did you know what this was marketed as a sequel to oh no um yeah it's in the lobby cards um they none of them say switchblade sisters they all say the warriors too amazing <laughs> which is um kind of incredible um yeah extras are great the only thing that i would have kind of added to them is all of my own films are kind of a, a combination of of art house and, and grindhouse and this is kind of the ultimate example of that combination really working because uh, Jack Hill said that Othello was a massive influence on the script and you know you can see it kind of patches basically Iago, Lace's sort of Othello and Maggie's sort of Cassio but obviously you know Othello didn't have gang fights or a scene where someone throws a chair through a wall Um, so (laughs) this is obviously better than Othello Um, but I would have liked to have seen like a video essay examining it on that level and kind of the themes of jealousy and and possession all that kind of stuff would have been nice they kind of touch on it but it never goes much further than Jack Hill saying oh yeah I based this on Othello 
or someone making fun of him for <laughs> yeah for... and they will and, and he does say that patch is meant to be iago yeah. i joked to jen that she was basically they call her one eye iago oh that is good do you, do you like that sam i'm glad i set that one up that is fantastic <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know what else to say about this really uh, I, I mean there is the tarantino factor it's how i came to the film in the first place and i do wonder if the reservoir dogs title was partially inspired by this movie because Lace describes herself as a gutter cat at one point, yeah. which is the first time I've heard that expression. And it's not a million miles away from a reservoir dog. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's just a, a minor theory I have. But, um, <laughs> yeah, any kind of last words before we move into recommendations? Not really. I just, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was, you know, thank you for choosing it. Wow. I, I, it's nice when we agree, Dan. Um, yeah. Makes for shorter episodes. (laughs) (laughs) And for me, this film is a kind of scream against the patriarchy. It's a, a, I'd say a three goosebump movie for me, actually. Uh, One of the coolest films ever made. If you haven't seen it, if you don't own it, this is one of the easiest buys you'll ever make. Switchblade Sisters, I love it. Uh, Recommendations based on the film. Dan, why don't you go first? Because I've got a really strong feeling about what you're going to cover and I don't think we're going to clash but let's see I've got I've got a backup just in case All right let's see I've chosen uh a a film from a few years earlier okay that I suspect you wouldn't like Uh-oh yeah but I I do feel is an interesting sort of like junction on the path to this film Okay oh god I'm I'm worried now because I've got one of those too but let's see It's 1968's She Devils on Wheels Oh, okay, good. From good. Herschel Gordon-Lewis. Yeah, yeah. Um, female writer, Louise Down. Um, it's a much simpler film. It doesn't have the same like structure and elegance to it, and Herschel Gordon-Lewis is not Jack Hill when it comes to actual directing. But if you want like crazy tough women, amazing, like weird gender-reversed re- gender biker tropes, one of the best decapitations you've ever seen in your life, <laughs> uh, then it's it's terrific fun. Great. Yeah, really cool recommendation. And I actually thought you were going to go down more of an Asian route um, with your recommendations. Ah, they're, they're, well, you may, uh, you may, you may yet be uh, proven right there. Oh, hooray! Um, well, my uh, recommendations based on this film are, are slightly different this week. In fact, this is the first and probably only time I'm going to ask people to do this. But please do not only watch one of my films uh, that I'm recommending this week. Please watch both of them in relation to Switchblade Sisters. And it's kind of partially related to the commentary as well because they talk about the 50s influence on this film. And I already had two 50s movies written down for my recommendations, so kind of that felt pretty good. But yeah, like I say, this is a special Switchblade Sisters double bill starting with The Violent Years, um, written by Edward, but not directed by him. But it does have that kind of distinctive Edward style, which is to say that it's bizarrely paced, it's forest wooden, and it's got a really (laughs) weird mixture of exploitation and moralisation. It it does also feature rape, but here it's the women raping men in a quite oddly chilling scene. Again, this is a film that people laugh at, but it has got some really good stuff in, in here. 
um, not least the final shot, which is a lovely bit of visual storytelling. But yeah, The Violent Years is basically about a girl gang on the rampage. There's not more to it than that plot-wise, but you can certainly see the seeds of Switchblade Sisters in it. It's available on Arrow's streaming service, so very easy for, for people listening to this to, to access, which is partly why I'm saying don't just watch this one because, you know, it, it's kind of terrible, but in a fun <laughs> way. Um, and it's only an hour long. And it's also, I think it was put out on something weird, which I believe your recommendation was put out on as well, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I've still got my something weird uh, sort of like clamshell, uh, like keeper case, whatever they're called, the cardboard ones of uh, She Devils and Wheels. Um, but it's also obviously available through Arrow and it's on their... Um on their streaming service as well, so you can you can make it a triple bill. Fantastic, fantastic. So yeah, uh, actually, you can make it a quadruple bill because my other one is also an arrow title. Oh, holy shit! Well, let, let's get into it. Um, what's next from you, Dan? Well, so when you started talking about musicals and everything needing a, a song and dance number in it, I was immediately reminded of a, a previous recommendation I've made just because I'd watched it rather than in relation to anything else, which is Bakuhatsu Boso Yugi, which is a Toro Ishii Japanese biker gang adaptation of West Side Story. So even though that's not what I'm saying now, that's a songless West Side Story, all they've kept <laughs> is the finger clicks. <laughs> Brilliant. And absolutely, like, God damn it, Aaron, I need to get that. That's it's such a wonderful film. It's quite hard to find. But no, my my recommendation is uh, the third of the Stray Cat Rock pictures, Sex Hunter there from 1970, directed by uh, Yasuharu Hasebe. Sibe, who did Massacre Gun and uh, Grudge Song, the last of the female Prisoner Scorpion movies. It's, uh, it shares a lot with Switchblade Sisters. Obviously, it's a female gang movie. There's uh, an interesting race contingent. Like Switchblade Sisters, it uses a musical cue to let you know that people you're meeting are not the same race as everyone else, as Switchblade Sisters does with the uh, the funky soundtrack kicking in before they uh, they meet the, uh, the, the black female gang. But it's, yeah, it's about sort of racism male gang versus female gang within japan but particularly in relation to this sort of like proximus area around the american military like encampment during the american invasion's not the right word you know when america sort of enforced itself upon japan post second world war and obviously japan's whole sort of cultural thing was the purity of japan for a very very long time uh, including like literally having laws making it illegal to be european if you go back far enough and america very deliberately uh, and actively sort of like deconstructed that as much as they could when they got there in the in the wake of the second world war and that one of the things that sort of rippled out of that was a uh, a generation of mixed race uh, people in Japan who were immediately and awfully treated like an underclass in Japan. And you don't see a lot of stuff about this in Japanese cinema, or at least I haven't. Mike sort of touches on it a, a few times. He's interested in sort of the immigration side of stuff, but I haven't yeah. seen a lot of it in mainstream Japanese cinema. And it's it's really interestingly played out here. And again, it's got, you know, awesome. It's got a great sort of shootout ending. There's some fantastic Molotov cocktail stuff in the middle, but it's also effortlessly cool in in the way that a lot of these uh, like Japanese, the, the Nikatsu like actioners are. Um, it's from 1970. It's available in the Stray Cat Rock box set from Arrow, but it's also on the streaming service. Fantastic. Excellent. Yeah, I, I had a feeling you'd either go Stray Cat Rock or uh, Prisoner Scorpion, so um, yeah, yeah I, I've kind of veered away from that in my uh, next uh, recommendation based on this film the second part of my switchblade sisters double bill you're going to watch the violent years first and then you're going to watch 
Orson Welles Othello. <laughs> <Which is>. <laughs> <laughs> Just the most amazing double bill ever. Um, but yeah, obviously this is another one of the greatest movies ever made. It feels like Bergman meets Tarkovsky in places with that defining Wellesian style running through the whole thing. I actually saw someone on Twitter call Wells a one-hit wonder this week. Um, saying that after Citizen Kane, he ran out of ideas, which is obviously hilarious. But uh, yeah, Othello is a true, true masterpiece. It's the greatest cinematic adaptation of Shakespeare's play. Uh, In my opinion, I'd say it's the equal of Citizen Kane. And the Criterion disc is unreal. It's a two-disker and it's got Wells' final completed feature, um, and an 83-minute making of the movie included on a second disc. And it's kind of like, basically imagine F for fake, but just about Othello. And that's kind of what it is. It's got that similar kind of vibe to it. Hugely recommend this release, even if you're not going to bother with my double bill. But yeah, if you're going to watch The Violent Years, please watch Othello uh, by Orson Welles. I recommend it. <laughs> nice there we go and shall we move on to what we've been watching in the past couple of weeks Dan yes the only film I'm going to recommend this week that isn't available from Arrow <laughs> oh wow cool uh, it's 1983's Angst by Gerald Cargill, an Austrian director. It's his only non-documentary feature, although it's based on a true story. The money fell apart just before they filmed it, so he funded it himself. The money, the budget spiralled out of control. It, it cost the equivalent of 300,000 euros back then and uh, absolutely bankrupted him. And it's basically never made its money back. And the reason being, they just couldn't release it anywhere because it was too horrible. Hey! <laughs> It's based on a true story. I think there's like, you know, when you watch a movie and you're like, oh, fuck, that's the jigsaw piece. And suddenly all these branches of cinema like snap together. Oh, wow. The, the picture's complete. Yeah. Uh, Gaspar Noe does an uh, introduction on the on the film for it, oh, on the cool. disc for it. The American uh, disc Cult Epics released it. There are other prints around. Cult Epics one is the only proper complete version. It's quite short. Mm-hmm. The director was for, for, for a, an international release. He was pressed to shoot an extra section and like a 17 minute sequence that goes on the front that is available on this disc there's a french disc from a couple of years before that says oh first time this is around but the french disc still has a load of deliberate like sort of censorship in image censorship of certain sequences and cult ethics went back to the neg and re relight you know recolor timed everything and like it's it's an amazing film. But, like, you can see, like, Darren Aronofsky in there. You can see Henry Porter of a Serial Killer. You can really see. Like, it's. I'd say if it's closest to anything, it's closest to Henry Porter of a Serial Killer. It's about a, a young man who uh, had tried to kill someone and went to prison and then managed to kill someone and went to prison. And he's now getting out. And you, you hear the voice in his head. And he's basically talking about, like, how he's immediately going to kill someone. That's his main thing. But he's going to... He'll get away with it this time because he's smarter. And he's not that smart. And it's all... You know, it all goes a bit wrong. It's a it's an early proto sort of home invasion horror. It's unbelievably like grueling and hard work, but it's so good. It's so good. The cinematography in it snaps between this like mad handheld stuff, loads of Snorra cam where they've like strapped the camera to the to the characters so they they seem static in the frame and the world moves around them. But then also you've got these amazing and clearly very expensive crane shots with these sort of techno crane things where it's going up buildings and across the roof and down the side other side of the building and sweeping into the street. Like 
clearly a huge amount of money spent on that kind of thing. The DOP was actually an animator, it's an Oscar-winning animator, and there are some special effects shots where they've animated the actors, they've stop-framed the actors to be able to get movements that would otherwise be impossible. Yeah, the whole thing is like incredibly stylish, but also feels very like grimy and dark. It's yeah, it's wonderful. It's, it's horrible. Honestly, sounds like my new favorite movie. Like that is just. It sounds like a dream film. And and There's weirdly, a, yeah, it will go very well with my kind of first recommendation. But um, so what's that available on? How can people get that one? So the only full full version, as the director intended it, is the cult epics disc from the states. Like I said, it's got the Noe interview uh, introduction. It's also got the director being interviewed by Jörg Butgreit, who has obviously also been very influenced by it. Um, specifically, his movie Shram, uh, if you've seen that. Yeah, yeah. It's got. Lo- it does. It also has the wildly unnecessary like international preamble, which I don't recommend you watch on the first watch. But yeah, it's basically a blueprint for I stand alone. So if you like that, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely going to get this disc. Like once we finish recording this episode, I'm going to order this disc. It sounds fantastic. Oh, you love um, it. And, and yeah, it sounds like it, it might go very well with my first recommendation this fortnight, which is Descent into Darkness. Now, Dan, have you seen Descent into Darkness? I don't know if I have. It sounds it's a very familiar title, but it's it, quite a general title. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, now this one was recommended to me by Lou actually from Arrow as oh, nice. an underseen and underrated found footage movie. Kind of after I raved about Lake Mungo last time, because um, Lou is now our producer on the show, and um, not that she didn't listen to the podcast before, but now we're in more kind of direct conversation. And holy shit, was she on the money about this film? It is an absolute masterpiece. It has got an incredible character arc where the form and content are just completely intrinsic. It's essentially about a guy that um, travels to France to make a documentary about the European dream. You know, is there the the European equivalent to the American dream? And he's going to do kind of uh, a heart-shaped tour around Europe. Um, But, yeah, he he ends up um, getting stuck in Paris for various reasons, which I'm not going to go into because this is so underseen. Like, I hadn't even heard of it before Lou mentioned it to me. But, yeah, it's just such a disorientating and sickening movie with one of the all-time great endings. It's sincerely one of the most fucked-up things I've ever seen. I loved it. Um, There's only one criticism, which Lou and I both shared, Uh, the movie kind of starts in a way well this is kind of my interpretation of it it feels like it's come from a note from a non-creative producer um, who who doesn't think again this is conjecture uh, but I I think someone involved in this said oh no they're not going to wait until we get to it you need to show them something oh cold open yeah yeah which is it's 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 a regular thing isn't it Dan if you ever see something uh, precious arrowhead in a movie at the start that feels out of place some motherfucker on that production has said oh no we've got to freak them out early but anyway I'm Could not going to scare in the around. first three minutes exactly exactly um but yeah i'm not going to go on a rant because it, you can ignore that element to it and um yeah descent into darkness would be a, an amazing double bill with uh, be my cat a film for Anne. and yeah it's on amazon to rent for a few quid descent into darkness so you can watch it today if you want precious arrowhead and i can't recommend it more highly if you like feeling a bit sick and being disturbed 
it's, um, I mean, it's yeah, it sounds great. Massively recommend it, and and thanks to Lou for recommending it to me in the first place. So, yeah, I've, yeah, I've just looked it up, and it looks it looks wicked. It's worth noting that it's the 2013 uh, Descent into Darkness, My European Nightmare. That's the one, aka Sorgoi Prakov, My European Dream, and not the 2002 Dark Descent, uh, starring Dean Kane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dan. Um, actually, that's my next recommend. No, go on. <laughs> I'm only watching films called <laughs> Dark Descent. Right, yes. So my next one, it's another Arrow title. And in fact, it's the other half of a box set that we will be discussing on a future episode. I fancied a little bit of uh, a little bit of this kind of thing. So I watched 1947's Brute Force by Jules Dassin, who directed Rafifi. He, it's in the box set with Urban Jungle. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Burt Lancaster smouldering away. It's a prison set noir. Um, it uses flashback structure to show us the loves and losses of these men. So you still get your kind of femme fatale-esque structure in there but really it's a sort of railing against the abuse of authority like angst was a jigsaw piece for for so many things i can't help but feel that this must have influenced the short story of shawshank or the feature adaptation of shawshank and it all goes a bit batshit in the third act as well so yeah it's an absolute treat it's beautifully photographed it's got some real sort of like brutal stuff towards the end and lancaster's just great (laughs) He's always, always incredible. And actually, I was going to um, flip, because this is, uh, spoiler alert, Precious Arrowhead, uh, this is my choice for not the next episode, which is Dan's, but the episode after we're doing um, the Naked City and Brute Force uh, box set. And I was actually going to flip it to Brute Force because it, it's just the more interesting film in a in a way. Uh, it just gives me an excuse to talk about Bert uh, Lancaster. So yeah, well you do both. Now, now you've recommended it. Let's see how we feel closer to the time. Yeah. But definitely get that tales from the urban jungle box set. Uh, yeah, you get the Naked City as well. Um, both are fantastic films. But yeah, Bert Lancaster is one of my all-time favorite actors. So um, we'll see. Maybe we'll just cover it as a as a do you, whole set. Do you like me, Sam? Get a real like feeling of being special when you watch you stick in a disc of a of a, a sort of a classic older movie that maybe you haven't seen before mm. and the text comes up telling you about the insane lengths they went to to sort of rescue the old negatives yes. or like the safety print off the nitrate and you're like oh fuck yeah you wonderful people if you hadn't done this i never would have been able to watch this and it looks so good Exactly. I mean, it gives me great hope that in 20 years time or 30 years time or 50 years time or 70 years time, someone somewhere is going to dig out a little more flesh and a little more flesh too. And uh, I will finally, long after I'm dead and in the ground, get the respect and the accolades that I deserve. But yeah, that's just a side note, Dan. Um, <laughs> and you know I'm, I'm of course i'm only joking or am i my next recommendation is related to that rant in a way because i'd really like to get it on the record that i only saw this film for the first time this week it is called effects it's another one that's on arrow and we haven't been told uh, that we need to suddenly no, recommend is... many Arrow titles. It's just yeah. literally how this this episode has kind of worked out. But yeah, like I say, it's on the Arrow streaming service in the uh, American Genre Film Archive section, so AGFA. But it is fucking incredible. I loved it so much. I ended up buying the Blu-ray on, on import from uh, Vinegar Syndrome. And yeah, the reason I want to be so clear about not seeing it before this week is it feels so much like my film a little more flesh in places 
I'm actually shocked that no one's compared my movie to effects in reviews, which makes me feel like not very many people have seen it, you know, like me, because reviews do love a comparison. Um, but it is such a fucking gem. It's basically a bunch of George A. Romero's mates making the horror equivalent of Truffaut's Day for Night in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. I'm not going to say anything about the plot because, like I say, you can just watch it on Arrow right now and uh it twists and turns so yeah i'm not going to say anything else but you really really should watch it on arrow effects not a particularly exciting title but what a fucking movie i massively massively recommend it dan you must have seen effects this feels like it's so up your street i haven't oh my god oh my god but, you're gonna love I'm, it i am loving the i'm loving the arrow video player like it's yeah like having it in my pocket is fucking great <laughs> It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Like the the more st- oh and and the other thing actually, I watched um, which I, I didn't do as a recommendation because I feel like we're going to do a full episode on it at some point. But I finally watched Dinner in America. Um, oh, isn't it fucking great? Yeah. Despite the fact that I had you know the screener link for so long, I ended up watching it on Arrow just because it was there, and um, it's fucking amazing. As as you rightly predicted, Dan, it is exactly my kind of movie um what a what a wonderful wonderful emotional funny cool fucking film that is um definitely went straight into my top 10 of the year um in terms of 2021 releases and it's on arrow right now for free so um subscribe away and watch all of this good stuff nice yes good <laughs> that's the end of the adverts um have you got one more dan uh no but i can give my uh my third based on if you want it was death wish three <laughs> <laughs> because of the armored car <laughs> <laughs> wow i'm glad we didn't force you into that corner jesus christ <laughs> Uh, all right, let's go into extra features, extra features, extra features. Extra features. Okay, I've had a, a minor brain wave this fortnight um, for extra features. When we don't have anything else, Dan, Yeah. and I'm assuming you don't have anything. We, we've got an email. Oh, have we? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I didn't see that one. All right, well, I'm just going to do it anyway because you'll like this, Dan, hopefully. Um, extra features is now a place for additional recommendations. Because people Boom. love our recommendations, right? So why not yeah. do extra ones in extra features when we have space for it? And I would like to recommend In the Earth, uh, which Ooh. Dan worked on and I loved. Um, it's definitely going to be divisive, but there's something very magical in the mix here. Uh, not least, Reese Shearsmith's magnificent performance. Isn't he good? He's, uh, he's the best I've ever seen him. His line delivery... It's just wonderful, and there are just so many great choices from him here. His approach to the character is not necessarily where most people would go as their first choice, I don't think, but it's fucking perfect. He's created something original within a space that that could have gone a different way. Um, There's some interesting stuff about the creation of art as well. There's approximately one million Kubrick references. And I love (laughs) I love Kubrick like any sane film fan or or at least his movies. And obviously Dan's work is great, as you would expect. Um, Thank you, Sam. There's some really fucking horrible stuff (laughs) in this film. Um, And yeah, it's out in the UK this week. Uh, as this episode goes up so on the 18th of june and yeah i actually watched it twice in 24 hours 
like the old days of VHS where you used to watch things as many times as, as you could in the window before where you, you had access to them. Yeah, so, yeah before um, you had to take the tape back. I, c- I can't remember the last time I did that because normally I kind of prioritise watching as many things that I haven't seen as possible and using the time. But just the next day after watching this, I was like, I really need to see this again. I need to see that performance again. I need to see, you know, lots of little elements again. So, like I said, I do think it might be divisive. Ben's stuff is for some reason, but um, I really loved it and I-, I couldn't recommend it more. Well, I think it's because he like he makes he makes art for himself. And yeah. and if you're on his wavelength, then you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's but, actually yeah. Uh, yeah, he doesn't well compromise what he wants to do for a perceived audience, which is exactly what you were talking about with this enforced cold open on so many things. You know, it's it's this uh, like dumbing dumbing down is the wrong word. I mean, it often is dumbing down, but not exclusively. But it's this sort of like accessibility issue with with making sure that enough people will be like fine with it because financially it's better for a lot of people to be fine with something than for a few people to fucking love it yeah no that's that's very true but it's it's a shame that um i feel like films like this have more of a respect for their audience in kind of a weird way even though yeah you you could argue that that not compromising could be seen as self-involved to a certain extent um but i'd rather filmmakers say we're going to go on a relatively tough journey come along with me and and you're going to see something um and i almost feel like that's kind of what it's saying about art in a weird kind of way. like there's a way to read this movie where it's almost about filmmaking in a funny kind of way but anyway i don't want to get into spoilers but uh, or affect people's perception of the movie because they haven't had a chance to watch it yet but um yeah, big recommendation in the earth out on the eighteenth of June. Dan, you have an email. Yeah, we we actually got it a little while back, uh, and I I missed it the first time around. Uh, it's from Pete Duff on the twenty sixth of May, and he sent us a lovely email off the back of our hundredth episode, or a little little while after. Uh, and he said, "Hope you're keeping well. First of all, congratulations on a hundred plus excellent shows. I've enjoyed every last one and been compelled to watch or purchase countless titles based on your recommendations or discussion on the podcast. My collection thanks you. My wallet, not so much." It is ref- actually refreshing for presenters of a show such as this to be knowledgeable, passionate, and eclectic in their tastes, as you clearly both are. And your clear camaraderie helps make the show such a great listen. Listening to you both has helped reignite my love of film, both from an entertainment perspective and an analytical one. I still can't help watching a film as a scholar on occasion. I guess I should make a suggestion, if I may be so bold. With the closure of our, the Arrow Academy stable, it would be great for you to revisit some of those titles. For instance, I would love to hear Sam's trademark exclamation of astonishing when discussing such Academy titles as Closely Observed Trains, The Tin Drum, Cinema Paradiso, or Bicycle Thieves, undisputable classics of cinema, as well as your comments on script, direction, etc. It would also be great to hear Dan's contribution from a special effects or technical point of view. Anyway, thanks for the first 102 shows, and here's to many, many more. All of the best, and thanks. Yeah, I love that. I, I That's... Uh... I'm glad that you kind of pulled that out to read it. Um, yeah, thank you very much. And and you know me, I can be a, a, a pretentious twat sometimes. So I would love to to watch some uh, pretentious movies. Not pretentious movies. They're not pretentious. They're just um, highfalutin, let's say. Because um, yeah, those bit, are bit just of veg. 
some of the yeah exactly veg to some but you know pudding to me like closely observed trains what a fucking film that is i would love to do that i've um, never seen closely um, observed oh, trains let's let's do that let's do it it's oh it's just a, a <laughs> will, that, will that be our least listened episodes uh hmm, yeah i mean jsa isn't looking good <laughs> uh, <laughs> well but, everybody go out and listen to the jsa one again please yeah um but yeah, stuff like Bitter Tears of Petra von Kahn or, or yes. Fear Eats the Soul, you know, any any of those kind of Fassbinder releases. Yeah, let's let's try and work something. Let's into, get some well, in. certainly let's do closely observed trains. But we'll we'll work it out and um before the end of the year we'll do a proper art house episode and um and again, you know, do a Ben Wheatley. We're gonna do something a bit more difficult than normal, but come with us and, and you'll have a great time. Um yeah, there you go. That's the end of that. Dad, any Lovely. more thoughts? No, I've had a great time. This has been a very enjoyable episode. It We've has. not disagreed about anything. <laughs> it has. And and yeah, um, let's do our social media then. And uh, this week, I'm actually going to ask you to follow me on Twitter related to this episode because a few years ago or a couple of years ago, I did something called a rip reel for a project that's kind of still in development called Needle Drop which is a script that I wrote and that I'm going to be directing when we've got the big piles of money that we need to make it. Um, It's punks versus bikers. Uh, But the reason I kind of bring it up is that within that rip reel, and just to explain what a rip reel is, it's kind of like a mood board, but in video form. So it's kind of like a fake trailer where you edit in footage from other movies to give uh, investors and distributors a a sense of what you want to make kind of tonally and style-wise as well to a certain extent. Anyway, the Needle Drop Rip Reel has footage from Switchblade Sisters in it as well as some other cool movies that if you like this film, you'll probably like those. So what I'm going to do is it's only a couple of minutes long, so I'm just going to put it up as a Twitter video uh, when this episode goes up because I think it might be fun for people to watch it. So uh, that's on Twitter, uh, and that'll be as this goes up, uh, at Sam Ashurst, which is just my name. Um, Yeah, Dan, social media. (laughs) <laughs> I'm at 13fingerfx on Twitter and on Instagram. I try to keep up with both. Yes, yes, even though you're impossibly busy at the moment, right? Yeah, like, I, you know, every now and then I, I stumble across, like, a nice archive picture, so that goes up on one or both. They're nice. Like, you know, it's difficult because I can't, most of the time, I can't post what I'm working on now. Um, so when a film I work on comes out, like, so I got to drop some nice stuff for Sensor's upcoming release, um and obviously once that's out and done the rounds i'll get to show some behind the scenes stuff but i always have to sort of remember where that stuff is and find it and whatever but sometimes i stumble across those the uh the phone like one year ago today three years ago today that's actually quite useful sometimes um like we just went past the two-year anniversary of filming possessor so it it showed me a bunch of nice things from that um yeah yeah you know that kind of stuff behind the scenes things I cannot wait for Sensor. Like, I am hounding the PR for that bloody link. Um, yeah, I'm so sure that's going to be in my end-of-year top 10. It just You're looks like exactly it, up my street. Um, so, yeah, really can't wait for that one. Right, yeah, quickly before I do my catchphrase, I'm going to apologise if there's any weird sound stuff in this episode. I'm I'm using a new mic uh for the first time this fortnight i'm a little bit paranoid about it so um it'll either sound amazing or shit 
Um, <laughs> so hopefully it's it's not shit. But if it is, sorry. And uh, also, thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next time. Next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.